Welcome to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast. In this podcast, we interview researchers who are finding and telling the stories of individual World War II fallen heroes. This is part one in a three-part podcast with Jonathan Floyd. Today, I have the opportunity to be with Jonathan Floyd. Can you take a second and introduce yourself, Jonathan? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name's Jonathan Floyd. I'm a student at BYU. I'm a senior uh, majoring in political science. I'm from Utah originally, uh, a little town called Morgan, which is about a half an hour north of Park City on the Wasatch back. And yeah, I've been writing stories for the Stories Behind the Stars project for since probably last July. So how did you find out about the project then? Uh, so there was an article on KSL.com, I think is what it was. It was just a, an interview that had been done with Don Milne. And, uh, and there was a link to, to the original Stories Behind the Stars website. And then from there, it's just a matter of getting in contact over email and getting started. So you're a political science major, but do you have a fascination with World War II? Is that why you're interested in doing these stories? Um, I mean, definitely interest in World War II is, is a big part of it. Also, I, I am really passionate about family history genealogy. I used to be minoring in it, actually, um, at BYU. Uh, and it's just something that's always been interesting and fun for me. So this is kind of combining the two. So do you have any family that were in the war? Yeah, I do. So uh, I had a couple of great grandfathers who served in the war. Uh, one in Italy with Patton's army, right, moving moving north um, into, into France. And one who served in the Pacific. Uh, he was actually, that was that was my, my dad's paternal grandfather. He was not officially like part of of world war ii he was just barely too young so he ended up enlisting like a month after the war ended um but so his assignment then was to go island hopping in the pacific and clear the japanese off of all these these previously occupied islands because even though the japanese had you know technically officially surrendered there was lots still going on and, and they had a lot of work to do to get everything cleaned up so that was his role wow that's awesome so um, you sent me some stories that you've profiled so far. Would you like to tell us um, some of those stories? Yeah, I'd love to. I, uh, these were some, some of the interesting ones I found. I mean, all of these guys have amazing stories and backgrounds, and some of them you're able to find more detail on than others. And so that's kind of why I chose these ones, is these are the ones that I was able to learn the most about. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll start with uh, the first one I sent you is uh, Ray C. Taylor. Uh, he was a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army Air Corps. Um, he was from Idaho originally, from a little town called Louisville. Um, and, and he grew up in, in the Salt Lake City, Utah area. Um, worked uh, before the war or before he was able to enlist. Uh, he worked for the Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad, which was a big, uh, kind of regional, uh, railroad that was based out of Salt Lake and Ogden. Um, he enlisted in the army air corps, uh, in 1942 
was trained in several different places, California, Arizona, Texas, Washington State. Uh, eventually, he ended up overseas in India uh, as part of the 1337th Army Air Force base unit. Um, and, and what his assignment was, was to fly C-46 uh, transport aircraft over the Himalayas to China, where the U.S. and uh, free Chinese forces were fighting against the Japanese. Uh, so that, that flight route was known as the hump. It was very, very dangerous, uh, partially because flying over the Eastern Himalayas was risky and, and the weather was difficult a lot of times. And, and so that made it hard, but then also because the C-46 was kind of a piece of junk. It was not one of the U.S.'s better built and designed aircraft. And they had a reputation for randomly catching fire in flight and exploding for no reason. And it was very sketchy. They, like a, a number of people you know, died or were seriously injured in random, inexplicable C-46 accidents. So it wasn't a great situation. They called it the flying coffin. Um, but he was apparently a really good pilot. Um, he, he received the air medal. Um, he flew a total of 150 hours, uh, over the hump and back, uh, in, in total missions. Uh, and, and he was, was very successful. Uh, he, but the, but the hump finally uh, caught up to him. It was a dangerous flight route. And on January 6th, uh, 1945, his plane disappeared, uh, along its route. Uh, he was originally reported missing in action. And when it became clear that the war department was not going to be able to locate the plane, he ended up being declared officially killed in action uh, about a month after the war ended. Um, so I just, I, I find it very interesting because when you think of, I guess some of these soldiers and a lot of the stories that I've written have been guys who were right in the thick of combat, right? who were fighting in the Philippines or who were fighting in Europe during D-Day or, or, or whatever the case may be. But for somebody like Lieutenant Taylor, this, he, he wasn't being shot at all the time, right? It wasn't the Japanese that were trying to kill him. In a lot of cases, it was mother nature or even his own aircraft possibly. Um, and, and so that's kind of a unique situation, but where he was, you know, every bit in as much danger and putting his life on the line to support his fellow soldiers who were who were on the ground fighting the Japanese? So I thought uh, his story was really cool. So did they ever find his plane, or is it still missing? It's still missing. The Himalayas took down a lot of transport planes, and it's been because they're the Himalayas. Uh, it's they're they're difficult to get to in general, just because of the terrain difficulties, and also because you're dealing with China and and heavily disputed parts of India and things like that, places where it's not super safe necessarily to send salvage operations so that it, it may be very difficult to ever locate that. Yeah. I know. Like um, I watched documentary on Sir Edmund Hillary and his wife was killed in a plane in the Himalayas trying to do some humanitarian work that they had done as they got involved with that area and, you know, Mount Everest and everything. So it's like, it's just, it's dangerous to fly now, you know? So it seems kind of like, why would why would these guys sign up to to be like okay I'm gonna go do this extremely dangerous thing, 
and then probably have a really good chance of not coming back. And, and it has nothing to do with actually like, you know, facing a bullet. I think it's just, it's just amazing to me, you know, and, and it's also amazing to me because like we hear a lot about, oh yeah, he was killed in the Philippines or he's killed in, in Europe, but like, you don't hear a lot of like, oh, he was killed in India. And it's, wait, what? We were in India? Like, wow, this really was a world war, like all around the world. Yeah, that's a theater, the war that is kind of underappreciated, I think, sometimes that especially um, if you look and this is a, a whole another topic and story, but the the British Indian forces who fought against the Japanese in India and China. And uh, because at one point, a, a significant chunk of India was either threatened by or under the control of the Japanese. And so there was kind of an effort to push them out and establish those footholds at the base of the Himalayas, where they could then fly supplies into China to push the Japanese out of China, out of Manchuria. So it was an important part of the war that, yeah, it doesn't get talked about very much. Yeah, you'd think people would make more really epic videos, movies, because it's a really cool place, you know. Maybe in the future we'll see more. <laughs> yeah, you. I don't know if you've heard of the movie... Uh, uh, Greyhound, right? Where, where Tom Hanks plays the, the a destroyer captain that's escorting the convoy. And the entire movie is just like one long bridge watch for the captain as he's, as he's trying to, you know, get this convoy through. I feel like you could do something like that with one of these transport pilots where it's just the entire movie is like one super intense sequence flying across the Himalayas or something like that. That'd be really awesome. Well, do you have a, another story that you want to share with us? Yeah, I I have a, a a couple here. Let's let's see here. This one um, is is very interesting to me uh, because kind of again a, a little bit of a, a subversion of the typical, I guess you know quote unquote typical stories behind the star story. None of these guys are typical. But uh, but kind of an interesting one and one that I have kind of a connection to. I mentioned my great grandfather fought uh, in Italy and this was kind of the, the setup for what he was able to do. So this is Seaman second class Abe Griffiths. Um, his first name apparently was just Abe, not Abraham, um, which I think is interesting. But he was born and raised in Milford, Utah which is a little town in central Utah. Um, uh, the son of a grocery delivery man. Uh, he enlisted in the Navy in 1942 uh, and, and was trained in Illinois at the Great Lakes, Lakes Naval Training Station, which I didn't even know that was a thing. That was one of the interesting things that I learned writing the story was that they did naval training uh, on, on the Great Lakes. That uh, that That was a convenient place to do it. Um, and he was assigned overseas aboard a Brooklyn-class light cruiser called the USS Savannah. So one of the assignments that the Savannah was given was to take part in what was called Operation Avalanche, which was the start of that campaign to push north through Italy towards France. And so they, they invaded Italy at uh, a seaside community called Salerno. Um, which was very heavily defended by the Italians. And so what these warships were supposed to do, right, the, these, uh, like these cruisers like the Savannah were, would just use their guns to soften up the shore defenses so that then by the time that the landing forces got there, 
Uh, they weren't being shot at quite so brutally. And so she just basically sat pretty far away from the fighting, just sat offshore and blasted the, the shore defenses. It seemed like it'd be a, a fairly safe situation to be as, as a soldier. Like if you could pick the place in the battle you'd want to be, that might be it. Um, you're really in very little danger. But there was air cover being provided by the Luftwaffe. Uh, and, and there was a German medium bomber that was flying overhead. And, and they had these bombs. Uh, I think the British were the first to develop one, but, but they kind of permeated throughout most of the militaries during World War II. There are these armor-piercing gravity bombs. The idea being that it was difficult to bomb warships because they were very heavily armored on top, right? You have, uh, that's where the focus was. And so these bombs could pierce through the armor and, and go straight into the heart of the ship and, and then detonate. It, they were very effective weapons. And so one of those ended up hitting the Savannah. Um, and detonated right in an ammunition storage locker. And amazingly, the ship actually stayed afloat. She did not sink. Uh, but the ammunition explosion killed a number of, of sailors. And, uh, and uh, Abe Griffiths was one of them. And he wasn't able to make it off. A total of 197 of the Savannah's crew members died uh, in those explosions. She was actually able to uh, to re-enter service, but it was a, a, a terrible, terrible tragedy. 187? 197. 197. Wow. But from this explosion internally, but it stayed afloat. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, really cool she story. was actually fully repaired and, and served throughout the rest of the war. But That's a really cool story. It's kind of cool to see, think like, you know, the doing these stories takes you all around the world and then also just all different types of fighting, you know, aircrafts. And then now you're in, you know, you're learning all about, do you feel like you as a researcher have to like research a ton more other things just so you can understand? A little bit. I mean, in, the, in this situation and, and really with the previous one, yeah, as well, you do have to learn some background because I mean, that story, you're just trying to understand what happened, right? You have to kind of put yourself into that position. And, 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 and so you need to have that background of, for example, what would the effect be of, of one of those armor-piercing bombs sitting in an ammunition locker and, and maybe what the specifics of that ship's situation were. And thankfully, there are good resources for that kind of thing. The Navy, for example, has an excellent database of U.S. warships from World War II, uh, where a lot of this information came from for this particular story. Uh, it, they have a, a lot of very useful information. So where did, did you just find that on Fold 3? Or is that something that you find like on the internet? Or Yeah, that was literally something I just Googled. I, I, I looked up USS Savannah World War II, right? Just kind of as a general blast search. And that was one of the top results was the Navy's own records of that incident and that ship's service career and then not only do you get was, i mean it's, it's useful for verifying his story right because they have rosters of everybody who's on board the ship so you can see oh yes he was on the savannah and then also find out exactly what the details of that engagement were thank you for listening to the stories behind the stars podcast we're so grateful you're here with us today 
If you like this content, please consider subscribing. Please consider donating on storiesbehindthestars.org or even better yet, volunteering to help write these stories. We're so grateful for all of our many volunteers who are making this project happen. And if you have a story you think needs to be on this podcast, contact us at contact storiesbehindthestars.org.